All right, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds, because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is February 12th, 2024, the day after the Super Bowl. I think we may have covered this in, in past recordings, but as as I've heard, it is the most unproductive day, um, an unproductive work day of the calendar year. How do you th- how, What do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like we must every year at this time probably have this exact same discussion where there are so many ways to fix this, Ricky. Like we have President's Day coming up next week. I, I, it really couldn't be that difficult to either move President's Day up a week or move the Super Bowl back a week just to give everyone that floating Monday holiday off if they needed it. I feel like people are so bogged down and like running on some of these other issues, which we're going to talk about in this episode. But if that was just like a, a plank in your platform of we're moving President's Day up and we're going to get the Super Bowl Monday off for everyone. I think the vast majority of like common people around the country would be like, that's my candidate. Right. I mean, it's like this and then daylight savings, things that we all be able to agree we could change. Right. Change it. Yeah. No, that, that just, it's, it's almost like too easy and too obvious. And, but this is why people often say that the, the people running for these offices are not normal people because that's what normal people actually care about of like, can I get the Monday after the Super Bowl off? So can I, I can fully enjoy that Sunday. And then, you know, can I, can you keep it light past 4 PM please? Like, like those are the, the things that we, we actually care about. But speaking of president's day next week, a little behind the scenes for the listeners, we have already recorded our annual president's day draft which is annually one of our most fun episodes to record and our most one of our most popular episodes for our listeners out there. So I won't, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but I will say, Ricky, I woke up yesterday morning and I realized that at one point in the draft, you stephoniced me. You like what what Elise Stefanik did to the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn, you did to me. And I woke up and I was like, damn, he got me. And I didn't even realize it in the time. And this is maybe I should have a little more empathy for those presidents, even though what they said was horrific. But in that context, Elise Stefanik had kind of taken the a question really outside the context of what was actually happening and like pinned someone pinned these presidents down into a position like a policy position issue that they didn't really believe in but felt like they had to defend and so you get me at one point i'm out there defending the patriot act which i hate the patriot act it's one of my least favorite piece of legislation ever to pass like in congress and be implemented in over my lifetime in american history and you just got me so sidetracked with what the debate was actually supposed to be where i was defending this stupid policy that I hated. So I guess in some sense, credit to you, but I will say, again, this will make more sense when next week's episode comes out. But I was like, damn, Ricky. Yeah. You know, it, it is, it's as a, like a, like an argumentative device trying to tie something that you, you know, that almost, or I think in hindsight that 
few people agree with trying to just figure out how to 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 tie it to something else that you say and then completely derail the conversation i think it's a pretty effective tactic so kudos to stefani <laughs> yeah yeah i i i fell for it so i i guess like credit to you in that sense i i had a i had a bit of buyer's remorse after i got a little a little too animated i know beyond as as you said we got a bit bit sidetracked and we're no longer talking about the same thing as happens in arguments from time to time ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes but we digress per usual what uh so <laughs> so what are we talking about this week well this is going to be the first in a what we hope is going to be a series of conversations focused on the some of the main issues in the 2024 election. So ideally our plan is to do about one of these a month running up up till November of looking at these main issues and thinking if if the candidates are Biden and Trump which are those are not guaranteed but looking increasingly like that will be the case or even just your generic democrat or republican you know, if this is an issue you care about, what what are you voting for, right? And if you, if you feel X way, which of the candidates best is going to put forth and implement policies that mirror most closely what you believe is the, the correct series of policies. So we figured what better issue to start with than immigration, because it has been in the news for so many reasons over these past few months, including a bitterly contested, but finally chiseled out deal that came out of the Senate, but then didn't even get a vote in the Senate and now appears to be dead. So we'll examine the immigration issue kind of in the light of that failed effort to come to a policy solution and then look at where does that leave us for the rest of this year heading into the 2024 election. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's very easy to associate sort of individuals with our whether we like them or not or whether we have particular disdain for certain people or not, but it's probably even more important to remember that each one of them kind of stands for or will likely push forward a certain policy agenda and the policies beyond the people will actually have the impact. Um, and I think this is something that I've been sort of coming to terms with is that voters in general are often polled about, you know, what are the most impactful or what are the biggest issues that they are considering heading into elections and then having a very difficult time saying that, okay, if I, I'm interested in or, you know, if I'm interested in the economy or immigration or climate change, what does that mean relative to these people that I'm going to be voting for? Um, so I think I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into this series. I'm expecting to learn a lot um, about the sort of policies from the different parties, from the different candidates and kind of where we stand um, today. So, yeah, looking forward to it.
Absolutely. Uh, so before we dive in, just a quick reminder to the people that the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky has the guys over at Cannon Hill always say, and I think is particularly apt in light of this series of episodes that we're going to do, is no matter what the debate or discussion that you're having, it's always better over a piece of high quality furniture hard to disagree with that so as anyone that is listening to this podcast is probably well aware immigration has been a massive issue in the united states for decades but increasingly so in recent years in fiscal year 2022 there were 2.2 million documented stops of unauthorized crossings of the southern border in fiscal year 2023 that was down slightly but still to a a previous record high of 1.6 million of uh of undocumented crossings and that that number has continued into fiscal year 2024 there were 225,000 incidents in December alone and this while this is an issue that has long plagued the border states of Texas and Arizona and California and Nevada increasingly it is plaguing other states too uh, in Denver for example the the mayor there in his proposed budget said that they were going to have to spend close to 10% of the city's budget on undocumented migrants in in Denver 13,000 migrants that are unhoused that they're trying to find housing for in New York City uh there's there's been huge issues. Uh, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, said that she's planning on spending $2.4 billion on, on undocumented immigrants uh, in New York alone this year. And we, we see that kind of all across the North, including here in Boston, Ricky, where you and I are, are seeing this impact people in, in our neighborhoods and our communities. And so this is where it's, it's kind of exploded across the country in ways that it previously hadn't. So obviously it's it's the the issue is is growing and while we talked about immigration with Korean Hajar um, a, a few episodes ago and that was an awesome conversation with someone that had been to the border had been doing research on this for a long time would encourage anybody to go back and, and check that episode out uh and what we had kind of said in that episode was that it seems like immigration always comes back up around election time like it, people are kind of Republicans in particular are usually trying to make it an issue but that actually seems less the case this although we'll get, we'll get into the politics of, of uh this this current bill the fate of this current bill but it seems like everyone across the spectrum whether you're on the father's left or father's right has has acknowledged that this is a really serious issue and why it's no surprise to you and i when we're looking at some of these polls about issues that matter to voters in 2024 you know overwhelmingly traditionally is economy right it's the economy stupid but increasingly immigration seems to be rising up that that ladder into like a 1b for a lot of people and it just again it seems like wherever you are on the spectrum you acknowledge that this is a problem yeah i i think so what you had mentioned about the kind of these democratic strongholds also coming forward and sort of pleading for help the major cities obviously but then new york boston chicago um that previously 
although, you know, ostensibly having like a stance on immigration, it, they weren't sort of the front lines. Right. And and now it's it's really hit home for everybody and it, it can no longer be like we're able to take this um, like you know, arm's length stance on, on immigration or on this issue or even think about it like academically or philosophically. Right, We're now thinking about it practically, again, in ways that mayors and governors of border cities and states have had to do for decades. But it, it's increased the urgency within both parties to try to get something done here. Yeah, it I, it it definitely has, and and I think both sort of the situations on the ground as well as the impression of the kind of out of control border situation, I think cre at least created some political momentum, kind of heading into the fourth quarter of last year. Exactly. And so even though I say that it, it seemed like there was urgency from all parties to get this done, that's why, as you correctly noted, there seemed like this would be a perfect time to get things done. And so that's where I, I'm really excited to talk about you know, how this all fell apart. Not to be excited that I'm glad that it fell apart, but excited to kind of delve into why it fell apart, because I do think it's really telling about this. If we all acknowledge that this is an issue, then how come we can't get anything done? This seems like exhibit A of a system that is broken, not an immigration system that is broken, even though that is broken, but a political system that is broken. So just as a bit of background, traditionally, when we talk about immigration reform, what we're talking about is people on the left getting past the citizenship for undocumented immigrants that are here, most probably famously in the last decade, these ideas like the dreamers, the people that came here that were children that were undocumented immigrants of were the children of undocumented immigrants, but grew up here in the United States. So it would be usually what the people on the left are looking for are pathways of citizenship for people who are currently living in this country that are undocumented and increases in legal immigration into the country. And the right is looking for decreases in illegal immigration and tougher border policies. And so those are kind of like the two positions that people are generally, the two sides are generally coming from in order to try to create this deal. What was interesting about this particular negotiation was it actually didn't come out of that same posture. President Biden back in November was looking for increased aid, increased foreign aid, chiefly to Ukraine, but also to Israel and Taiwan. Republicans pretty much said, I'm not giving your $114 billion that he was asking for, for foreign aid, when we're not doing anything to secure our southern border. So if you want all of this aid to, to these foreign countries, then we're also going to have to pair with border negotiations. So the, the posture of this negotiations had been. And this seemed to be a recipe for a conservative, what you would call a, a conservative victory, because there were there are plenty of at least Republicans in the Senate that want to give foreign aid to Ukraine and, and Israel and Taiwan, and also want to get border policies that that make more sense, a tougher tougher border policies. While so progressives hated this from the start because they were already realized that they had kind of given up their negotiating position. They weren't going to get much 
in the way of immigration reform that they wanted, what they were going to get instead was what President Biden was asking with this foreign aid. Right, which, I mean, Ukraine potentially aside, but is not necessarily number one sort of additional military aid, not, ne not necessarily number one on the progressives agenda in terms of where additional spending needs to be routed. Right. So the fact that President Biden is looking for this foreign aid and was going to be in support of a bill and also that conservatives would be able to get to deal with this immigration issue seemed, again, potentially like a win-win for many people across the spectrum. So the, the three primary negotiators are Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, who's a Democrat, uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, who is now an independent, formerly a Democrat, and Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, who is a Republican. So they get to work over November, December, January, and they're hammering this out. Things are leaking and people on the far left and far right are both not pleased with how the negotiations are going, which... Ricky, for people like me and you, is generally a good sign. If people on the far ends of the spectrum are not happy with it, then probably the 80% of the people in the middle, this is probably going to be good for them. So without getting too in the weeds, uh, last week, the, the text of the bill finally came out. So it's a 370-page uh, bill uh, that would pair $20 billion in emergency spending with policy changes. It is it was you know, potentially going to be the most stringent immigration bill endorsed by Democratic presidents in, in recent memory. Uh, it was $118 billion plus, um, including all of the aid that President Biden wanted to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, paired with a number of policy changes for the border. Uh, it, I'll, I'll just run through kind of the top lines of them in for detention. It was going to give $8 billion to Immigration and Customs and Foreign Enforcement, which is ICE, um, which would almost double their annual budget, which is $9 billion. For asylum, it was the goal was to speed up asylum cases to make sure that they didn't last any more than six months, which would often be enabled by allowing as asylum officers to close out a claim rather than going through immigration courts. It would, it would kind of raise the bar for people applying for asylum into the United States, make it harder for people to get asylum and make the courts be able to process the claims more quickly to get those people out if they were rejected. Uh, it would also guarantee a lawyer to anybody uh, that was facing rapid deportation. So an important kind of caveat there. Uh, border shutdown. Any time that the illegal crossings top 5,000 migrants on average across the week or 8,500 in a single day, the president had the authority to shut down the border completely, which is, would be kind of unprecedented at, at this time. It could only reopen it uh, if the illegal number of legal crossings dropped like 75% of that number. Uh, there was uh, $1.4 billion allocated in local support. So for those cities like Denver, Chicago, New York, Boston, all the cities that are dealing with this unprecedented you know, surge of, of migrants, aid would go to those cities to help them deal with it locally. Uh, the border wall, would it would really, in, it would increase the, the, the amount of like border wall that would be that was beyond under President Trump, it would it would continue the border barriers uh, that President Trump had really boasted about. That was like eighteen to thirty feet high with anti dig and anti climb features. Uh, it, for Afghan nationals, it would offer permanent residency to those Afghan nationals that had had to flee when the United States 
they were they were granted visas when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, but this would grant them per permanent citizenship, per permanent residency. Uh, it would increase the number of visas to up to 250,000 over the next five years, chiefly for people who are seeking to who have family members working in the United States, usually on H1, H1B visas, which are kind of like these high end, usually requiring some sort of like college degree or technological background. So it would increase the number of people who would come here to work legally. Um, it would, there was policies aimed at countering fentanyl, giving $23 uh, million more to the DEA to go after Mexican cartels. Uh, it would, there, it would increase, uh, the number of work permits, immigrants who are waiting for their asylum claims to be processed could automatically you know, be eligible to work in the United States. So all of these people that are sitting around that can't legally work, this would allow them to acquire permits to work. It would also give $7 billion in emergency funding to Custom and Border Protection, which would allow them to hire 4,300 more uh, ag uh, agents. And it provided uh, a pathway to citizenship for documented dreamers, which essentially were kids who came over to this country whose parents were on a work visa, then it would allow a path of citizenship for the, for those kids. So as you can probably see from the text of it, it's it's a compromise. And and of course, when the text of the bill came out, people on the left were horrified, people on the right were horrified. But the text of the bill, as, as President Biden said, it was the most fair and firm like piece of immigration text that we have gotten in decades. Yeah, it's uh, I I mean I I don't I don't know that there's much to say about it, but it it does just feel like a compromise. Both having uh, opportunities for people, or like kind of expanding the legal pathways, which you said is sort of the the um kind of the goal of most immigration reform from the left, as well as like improving the the stick sort of side of things firming up the actual border, providing more money to ICE, making it harder to make asylum claims. Um, it, yeah. See, see, so why did it fail, Brendan? Well, that's a great question. So obviously the progressive left was up in arms about this for kind of all the reasons that we had said is that it, it doesn't accomplish what were their goals for decades here of providing a path citizenship for undocumented immigrants that are currently living here in the United States. It doesn't greatly expand like legal migration numbers, even though it does a little bit. It makes it harder for people to get be granted asylum. So all of those kind of progressive left policies uh, were not present here. And so you could understand why people on the far left didn't like it. But that is not why the deal collapsed. The deal collapsed because people on the right principally President Trump and, and kind of MAGA-right Republicans torpedoed the deal. And they did it by essentially just kind of mischaracterizing what was in, in the deal. Uh, they, they said that this would allow 5,000 people to come through every, every day, which is obviously not, it's just a twisting of what I actually just said. If there were 5,000 people that were kind of caught, it would allow the president to shut down the border. It's not saying that 5,000 people would be getting in every single day, but that's how it was being spun. And essentially, people on their far right said, we, we gave up too much here. We we should wait and hold out for a stricter, a tougher deal. And the, the House has a has text of a bill, HR2, on that, but that bill was never going anywhere. But the you know mantra quickly became that why would we do any sort of deal now? Let's just wait until we have power 
next year <clears throat> and we can do a far better bill. So the deal is killed by people on the right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is more or less what you have to say that the that we should hold out until we have power. I think the reality is that a win for President Biden on immigration actually makes it is a is a is something that may make it less likely that Republicans go anywhere in November. And this is <clears throat> this is kind of straight out of the playbook during the Obama years where we can stall and and shoot down legislation or basically make everything grind to a halt and then turn around and say so and so is ineffective and he can't do anything and there's no policy coming out of there um and it is and i yeah it's it's one of those things where i have right we we have the system that we have so that <clears throat> minorities and majorities still have to work together um, but it's been perverted in such a way that you can, that wins for everyone become only wins for whoever's in power. And so it's no longer worthwhile. And I think the, the sort of sponsoring member Lang Langford was, yeah, he gave, I think he gave a pretty, um, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. I think he gave a pretty, um, forceful sort of rebuke of Senate Republicans on that, that like you said, in order for us to provide aid to Ukraine, that we had to get a deal done on the border. We did that. And then you said, oh, never mind. It's an election year. You're not interested anymore. Yeah. And this is a party that's not serious about governing. This is that's just that to me that I don't know how you could come to any sort of conclusion other than that. I, I saw a headline at one point, like, Republicans catch car again. You know, this idea when like dogs, they love chasing the car, but they once they actually catch it, they don't they don't know what else to do. It's like, what well, now what? This is this happened before. You were right to point to the Obama years. For years, what a republic what was the issue that Republicans ran on and ran against was repealing Obamacare. Right. The reason with the, this individual mandate that conservatives, I think, rightfully were up in arms about, the whole plan was we're gonna repeal it. And then once the, the the polling got out and Americans, it seemed clear that Americans kind of liked having healthy, like health care from, you know, an option from the government. They said, all right, we're going to repeal and replace it. We're going to have something way better than this plan. OK, totally on board with that. Republicans have control, win the presidency in 2016, have control of the Senate and the House from 2016 to 2018. What happens? Nothing. Not, they, they, there's, it's clear that there's actually no plan, despite years of railing against, you know, Obama's Obamacare and Obama's health care plan and saying that we're then transitioning to like we're uh, we're going to repeal and replace it became very clear that they had they had nothing and this that's that was devastating for me as someone that was like well the whole point of electing you people was theoretically to advance this policy that you claim to believe in so now this is a policy where Republicans are far more trusted than Democrats. This is one of the issues where Republicans are far more trusted than Democrats on immigration, right? And this is, would be an advocacy for electing conservatives to put them in power to make deals. But we have a deal here. And this deal was better than anything that we have had for, again, for decades. The last comprehensive in, in, in immigration reform that we've had, Ricky, I've talked about this before, 1964, the Hart-Celler Act. In the in we have 1986, 1996, we have some congressional action, but any 
the only stuff we've had in the last two decades in the 21st century has been executive actions. And whether it was Obama or Trump, people on these are, as we've long talked about, this is not a way to govern just for a, by executive action. Congress is there to do something to solve problems. Here they had a potential solution. It wasn't an ideal solution. There's probably no one out there, you and I included, that agreed with every single thing in this bill. But it was it was a solution to a serious problem that we all acknowledge is a serious problem. And we basically, Republicans in particular, have decided that no, we actually don't want to solve this problem. Help me understand this from sort of the Democrat lens here. I mean, the way that you describe the bill is is primarily hits on the things in the Republican wish list. Maybe not as far, but you know, at, le at least pays homage to all of them and, and in, in some ways or another, like, right, like by in increasing the asylum bar and adding more funds to ICE, et cetera. Are, how were how Democrats on board with this in the beginning? Is it just because of the foreign aid package? No, although I do think that's part of it is that Democrats, like Democratic hawks, have long said that it's like it's an imperative that we get this aid to Ukraine in particular, but also Taiwan to and Israel to lesser extent. So that, that was a big part of it. But I honestly think that it was political on their part, too, is they're the ones carrying this issue with them into the 2024 elections. And so the people that were most on board with this were President Biden, because he knows that he's going to kind of get hung with the with all the numbers that I said at the beginning, these millions of you know incidents with these illegal uh, crossings at the southern border. Those are he's going to get hammered with that leading up to the election. So he was he was the main proponent of this is like, look, if I can get something done, I can say that I was the president that actually tried to address this issue, unlike President Trump, who who talked all this, but actually didn't get anything done. I'm the one that did it. And increasingly, that also the the Democrats are on defensive in the Senate this year. And so like red state Democrats that are up for re-election, like Sherrod Brown in Ohio and John Tester in Montana, uh, they were totally on board with it too, because they they understand that what do their constituencies want? They want immigration reform. And like, if they can say that they help pass it, it's going to help them. And then of course, we even have, as we've said, the people on the left, like we've had Governor Healy here in Massachusetts and Governor Hockel in uh in New York, like these are pretty progressive Democrats. They're like, hey, we got to get something done. So I think there was kind of a broad base of support across the Democratic Party to to try to like step up and, and lead on this issue, or at least say that like we're working to get something done. And they could run on that fairly. All right. So tell me about what you think the the fallout is going to be. Well, so I guess this would be if you were kind of trying to make the pitch for like the Trump side of the Mike Johnson side, the MAGA side of this, of why we would want to veto this bill. You would say that the Democrats, chiefly President Biden, are going to get hung with this issue. This is the issue beyond all issues where the American public trusts Republicans more. So this is a, a terrific political football to have over these next eight months here. And so we can all run on this. If we succeed on this, we're going to have the presidency, we're going to have the Senate, we're going to have the House next year, and we can pass something far more stringent, right? That That's kind of the messaging of why you would want to, to kill this bill, if quote unquote, gives away too much, we can come up with something that's much more strict. To me, that's folly for a number of reasons. Um, two kind of main ones. One, 
the Republicans lost the presidency in 2020 and then underperformed across the Senate and the House in 2022. So I don't think it's any given, even though like political headwinds seem to be maybe favoring Republicans in February. I don't think it's any given that come November, Republicans are going to sweep into broad power across the, the presidency, Senate and House. So one, that's not a given. Even if it happens, Ricky, there's no way the Republicans can have 60 senators which you would need to pass any sort of immigration bill, which is why McConnell, the great politician that he is, again, this is not a defense of McConnell and all his policy positions. He's a great politician, pretty much said to his colleagues, this is the best we're going to get right here, because what we're going to have a bunch of Democrats on board with this plan for all the reasons that I just said, and we can get some Republicans on board too. We're not going to get that next year, no matter what we pass. We're not going to get eight to 10 Democratic senators to sign on to it. So Again, that's why Republicans killed it, but it makes no sense to me. Right. So even if, well, does it make no sense to you? Or or is there a little bit of understanding that as much as immigration is a great issue to get up and grandstand on, that it's not one that either parties are ever that eager to do anything about? I think... I think there's like a, I I mean, the, the political football analogy is exactly the right one in that it provides exactly what they're looking for, a, a, a place to broadcast that like, look at the failures of this administration in, in open, right. In, in open air. And so the idea that they really want to do something about it is, Right. Like, let's say let's say they let's say nothing happens now in four years, they do come into power, they do something about it. And then the immigration problem is no longer a problem, quote unquote, or whatever. Then what? Right. Like that may be the as you said, like the one issue that Republicans really have right now. It's I I think there is it's yeah, it's one of those things where it makes it very difficult for the party that wants to get into power if this is their avenue to do that to see why they have and and maybe it goes back to you sort of your original point of like a the broken system that the incentives are no longer aligned to do the things that people elected you to do because all you're thinking about is the next election and how hey an actual success or a win makes it less likely that i'll get elected again yeah, but I mean that's like that's just so depressing <laughs> to think about that of like we're we're electing these people who to to ostensibly address issues that actually have no interest in in addressing these issues. I feel terrible for like Murphy's deal and, and trying to get this done. And they finally come to this compromise, and now what they're left with, they're they're just going to be hit from the right on Lankford's case and the left on Murphy's case of like that people that actually tried to go and solve the problem. Now they're probably both going to get primaried from people that are like, he's not conservative enough. He's not liberal enough. Like they gave away all of this stuff when like, I'm, I'm trying to actually solve something. And like, yeah, the incentives are messed up because when you actually put yourself out there and try to do something, you, you lose. Now you're just kind of hung out there to dry by, by your party. Yeah, I am I am curious how much of a price Murphy's going to pay versus Lankford. I think I think in 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 this new age of 
a Trump-centered Republican Party, anybody who is open to a compromise with the left, with Democrats, the left, with Democrats, is now a target for a, a primary. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, we have this system that elects certain people. We think we might need to change the system, but the only people that we can get to change it are the people that are getting elected in this current system. So this is a little bit of a a a uh a catch-22 here and another i mean you know we've talked about this before too another thing that just feels like term limits man uh wouldn't that be great because then you only get elected for a short period of time to do a specific thing that you want to do and then and then that's it like this career politicians are so frustrating because they are more convinced that it's their their singular sort of existence that that creates the things that they want to see rather than the policies or rather than like actually doing anything um that that is tough all right well so if we're going to summarize and really say going into november um a vote for trump on immigration is a vote for what policies that are far harsher than were just line, like laid out in the bill um and so i i think it, it's a vote for deep, mass deportation uh, like I, I think you know he, he kind of talked about some of these ideas heading into 2016 but i really feel like theme as we get into some of these other issues ricky that if he wins he's going to be emboldened in a, in a way that he just wasn't previously uh and he's going to put in place and there's been extensive preparations already lawyers will carry exactly what he wants to have done so i, I think what we're going to see are, are mass deportations of people of undocumented immigrants in our communities which is going to lead to a, a mass upheaval uh, i think what we will continue to see the wall built we'll probably see far more money go to customs and border protection to ice um, to the military being deployed to the border. I, I, I think by Republicans and you know the, the Trump part, part of the party in particular rejecting this deal, which was really strict, was far stricter than anything that we had that had ever been even close to happening in, in 60 years. By rejecting this, you are voting for very punitive, strict immigration policies. And for a lot of people, that might be exactly what you want to vote for, right? You might look around at what's happening in cities near and far and say, I want that. I do want someone that's going to build a huge wall and deploy our military and take all of these undocumented immigrants out of these communities. If that's what you want, that's the guy to vote for. So then I think on the flip side of this, the immigration issue is the one that well, I, I think that's that's what you get through executive order. If you're sort of interested in some kind of lasting legislation that just can't come in and be undone by the next administration, Biden is probably your best chance because, you know, other the Republicans have immigration issue as leverage over these other things, these other sort of goals of the administration. Um and I, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. 
agree that he's a far better chance than translation of reform. Like Biden would be a better shot, but I don't think that this this particular time was the best time to get him because he's up for re-election. Right. Like his incentives change if he gets reelected, too, because why would he give up the things that he potentially gave up on, you know, the the progressive wing of things if he's not the one that's going to face reelection? So I think that's the frustrating part is that Biden's incentives will have changed, too. Again, the Republicans might be able to conjure some other things around the foreign aid. Like they, I, I won't give you the foreign aid that you're asking for if you don't give me kind of these border protections. But I, I don't know. This this felt like the best chance for comprehensive reform. I don't know that we'll get that under a, a, the second term of Biden or Trump. Yeah, that, I, I think that that is a fair take. I guess my counter argument would be that, as you alluded to at the beginning, is that we finally had some momentum from, you know, the, the quote unquote sanctuary cities that historically have been very resistant to new immigration rules and I would say that Biden is not, a, you know, he's not a diehard progressive. He is more apt to kind of blowing with the the wind a little bit on this issue. And I think if if it's a piece that gives him leverage on some other things, some more infrastructure type stuff, I, th- I mean, I think far more than under a Trump administration, Biden is probably the guy clearly being open to what the text was that was in this bill, which as you as described is far more right leaning than left. I think the trouble then becomes the other Democrats in the Senate and um, which is, which is, which is entirely fair. I think, and maybe the other piece of this is like, which one is going to be more effective um, in terms of, dealing with immigration i think the things that i really liked about this package that were put together were like let's expand the number of people that we have like processing these cases and working with these migrants and so like the backlog and all of the that that kareen hajar had like outlined all of these like transactional costs that were part of the system it simply because it was designed with like a thousand per day in mind and was up to 5,000 per day or whatever, you know, whatever the numbers are, right? It was just over an overloaded system that though you can say that it was broken in the past, really had met some kind of inflection point over the past couple of years that was very different than say the situation 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so, so there is kind of that aspect as well. I guess, yeah, maybe the the jury is a little bit out in terms of, you know, if you want to see this immigration problem solved, like really, what does that mean for you? Does it mean no more immigrants or does it mean something different? Yeah. And I guess to be more optimistic than I previously was, is that election years are notoriously difficult to do anything because there's so much political pressure on things where it actually does become easier once people are not have gotten past the election and this tells me, Ricky, the fact that we even got this far, it tells me that there are at least some serious people, chiefly in the Senate, that are that want to actually try to engage in the work of like governing and solving problems. And so like there there is hope there. And I guess 
what else I, I want to say, well, a couple of things. One, the conversation that we referenced a couple of times with Kareen Hajar is episode 103. So would recommend she's, she's really an expert in, in this and provided some terrific insight and is like critical to the well-being of this country. And not, not only just like tr- the traditional, like we're all immigrants, you know, Ricky, Rick, you and I are grandparents and parents. Like this is, it's not only personal to us and personal to everyone here in the United States, but it's also like what helped us kind of get out of Ten years ago, what helped us start to lower inflation? It's the fact that we have immigrants coming in doable without immigrants, and so illegal immigration is a massive problem. it puts strains on resources across the board, and, and I think it's people are up and on taxpayer dollars are paying those thousands of homes for, or that we can't get money for more affordable housing for our healthcare systems. Like it, that's all legitimate. It's leg- like, but there's. I know that this is a complicated problem. There's a reason we haven't had comprehensive reform in 60 years, but there are some common sense things that we can all agree with that it's just so frustrating to me to have people in power that refuse to to just do that, to do their jobs, really. Like daylight savings all over again. Well, hopefully there is a, a rainbow at the end of this uh, rainstorm, but um seems like it'll be quite a ways out before we see any of that yeah so i mean not the most uh hopeful start to this series of events but i do think that this is if this is something that you are this is a serious issue for you and it is for many americans you really do have to think of like what what do i want which president is most likely to give me this is it a president biden is it a president trump is it a potential president haley or Kennedy or West or whatever. But I do think like as you're considering who to vote for, I I think your original point of why do this is to move beyond the person and the caricature and even some of the rhetoric and look at like what would immigration policy under a second term of President Trump be? What would it look like under President Biden and which one most closely matches what my goals for immigration were? Because I think you are getting two pretty different views and pathways forward on immigration from the two main candidates and just eyes wide open going to the election whoa what am i voting for all right perhaps we leave it there till next time buddy yeah everyone get excited for our draft that comes out next week that we mentioned at the beginning that's going to be a fun one to listen to you can you can hear ricky stefanik me uh but uh that's it i'm excited to do more of these and dive into some of these more more of these like issues that are central to the election but um as you said until next time i'll see you we'll see you we stay up all night on garner avenue Debating all the issues of the day 
No agenda, not yet. Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began. Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds, because even though it did not share, Pains we share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten Values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, some morning let your ego bruise. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. And folks of different minds, because though we didn't share opinions, we share an American ideal. Friends made over arguments. And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz There's hope behind the bluster Cause the old mainstream may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's trying to find a better way to disagree Some days you win, some days will leave your ego through. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find and chase the lion's head. And folks of different minds, because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz. Oh, what I wouldn't give for. The hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks are different minds Because though we did not share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz